0: Good morning. Hope everyone is doing well. It's good to be with you today. Uh, my name is Paul. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, I, I really love Advent season. I don't know if you ever grew up celebrating Advent, taking the, the, the four weeks up to Christmas to really stop and focus and, and really talk about um, what Jesus did, what Christmas means, and then to really look forward to, to what's coming um, It's helpful for me to just take the time to just slow down and just stop and just a reminder of um, the amazing truth uh, and beauty of Jesus. Scott reminded us the first week about hope and the hope that we have in Jesus. And last week, Blake uh, took the time to just remind us that God loves us, that he loves us in Christ Jesus. Um, He doesn't just love us, he also likes us. Sometimes that's hard for us to really wrap our minds around. We don't annoy him, we don't bother him. We're in Christ Jesus. He genuinely loves us and He genuinely likes us. So this week uh, we've already kind of let the cat out of the bag. But uh, what is you know one word that just kind of pops up during Christmas time? Uh, and it's joy, right? We we you see it on shirts and you see it on mugs and you, you see it on banners and what we we just link joy to Christmas. And so that's what we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about today. Um, there's this old, profound liturgical medieval hymn that says, "I've got the joy, joy, joy down in my heart," um, and everyone always respond and say, "Where?" And they say, "Down in my." All of y'all are thinking back to like VBS when you were a kid. Like, I don't think that's from medieval times. Uh, what is the definition of joy? Let me get my uh, my screen up here. Uh, One of the definitions I saw about joy is that it is a feeling of great pleasure and happiness. Another one said, it's the emotion evoked by well-being, success, or good fortune, or by the prospect of possessing what one desires. Another one said, the emotion of great delight or happiness caused by something exceptionally good or satisfying. I found a version, a definition of this that John Piper wrote, uh, and he termed it. Christian joy, and I think it's a little more fitting for us today. He said, Christian joy is a good feeling in the soul produced by the Holy Spirit as he causes us to see the beauty of Christ in the Word and in the world. And I think that probably applies to us as Christians uh, and believers a little bit differently uh, than the other definitions, uh, and, and there's a difference between happiness and joy. Happiness is a moment. It's a moment it's a, it, it can be fleeting depending on our circumstances, whereas joy is a it's a feeling in the soul that is out. It's produced outside of us. It's produced by the Spirit. Christian joy is a gift. And it's this gift that, uh, if you've been here since we've been starting and going through Genesis, it's a gift that man had with God in the beginning. When, when man fellowshiped with God and they were in his presence in the garden, they had perfect joy. They had that perfect joy with God. Psalms 1611 uh, says this. It says, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand, our pleasures forevermore. There is fullness of joy in God's presence. That is the ultimate joy. That is the joy that we could one day hope for. And Adam and Eve had that in the garden. Uh, We've referenced it a few times these last few weeks, but a sermon series that we went through um, that was called Jesus True and Better. And we went through the different parts of the Bible, and we talked about how that pointed back to Jesus. These stories in the Old Testament aren't isolated accounts of heroes, but all of Scripture tells one big story, it's the story of redemption. And really, you could say it's the story of ultimate joy that is found in one person, in Christ Jesus. And in Genesis, they had this perfect joy in full fellowship with God. Yet, here we go. We know what Adam and Eve did. They chose to find joy elsewhere. And so they rebelled against God. Uh, and that, that communion with God was broken. They had to leave the garden. They could no longer be in God's presence. And that's the case. From then on, Scripture talks about Israel, the chosen people of God, and how they uh, went through these constant cycles of wandering away from God. They would rebel from God. They would be held captive. God would restore them back for a period of time. And then they would do it again. And God, God was kind to them, but yet he was also, he would punish them at times. And there's just these cycles of, of rebellion. But yet throughout all of Scripture, God promised that their joy would one day be restored. Israel was at its pinnacle when they had David as their king. If you know anything about the Old Testament, Israel was always whining and complaining that they didn't have a king. God said, You don't need a king. I'm your king. They you say, Well, I have all these other. They were jelly of the other countries who had kings. They wanted a king. And so they gave him Saul. And Saul, you know, he was powerful, but he was kind of a ding dong. And so he, he failed miserably. Uh, but then David comes on the scene, right? And so David was the earthly king of all kings for Israel. Every king after David was compared to David. Could you imagine, like, Have you been in situations where no matter what you could do, it never was good enough because you were being compared to somebody else? Uh, I imagine he sort of became like a legend a little bit, and so the stories got a little bit bigger than they really were about David, kind of like Chuck Norris or something, you know? There were stories, oh, well, David could do it this way, and I was like, I wonder if that's how it really happened or if these legends are just growing. Um, But I bet it would kind of be like that, like it was a little bit better than it really was. you ever... You ever find yourself doing that with things? I did it one time with a movie. I'm not going to tell you which one because um, I remembered it better than it really was. So I talked to some folks, I'm not going to tell you who they were either because you know them, into watching it with me. And so we started watching it and they were like, this is pretty terrible. Uh, it's like, ah, I remembered it better than this. They're like our cartoons when we were kids. Have you gone back and never watched any of the cartoons we watched when we were kids? They're awful. Like it was just, like the stuff they have now is so much better than we had, uh, but I, you know, I think that's kind of how it was with David. Regardless of how good David was, David was just a shadow and a type of a joy that was to come, that God promised Israel. And then there were hundreds of Old Testament prophecies of Jesus, and many of them even referenced David as the coming Messiah, that the Messiah would be in the line of David. Uh, Jeremiah 23 says this, it says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land in his days Judah will be saved and Israel will, del- will dwell securely in this the name of the Lord by which he will be called the Lord is our righteousness and the old testament is just full of these prophecies of one day god restoring his joy to his people and all throughout Old Testament, he just keeps making these promises of an ultimate restoration. Micah, uh, There's one in Micah 5 that says, But you, O Bethlehem, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth from me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth, and the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord and the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall restore their peace. But the promises that were clear, the promises were clear that the, the what was coming uh was a joy that they couldn't really comprehend. They only they always compared it to the joy they had in political freedom and their nation, but that wasn't necessarily what the old testament was promising for them. Isaiah 25 says, I'm going to bounce around scripture a lot, so just bear with me. You don't have to turn there necessarily. Isaiah 25, 7 says this, on this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all people, the sheets that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. This promise of this joy that was going to be restored is all throughout scripture, yet Israel was just assuming that he was, this, this king was going to come and he was going to restore them politically, and they were no longer going to be held captive or whatever, um, whatever was going on at the time. And the prophets spoke of this coming Messiah for hundreds and even thousands of years before Jesus came. There are around, depending on who you read and who you listen to, there are around 300 Old Testament prophecies of the coming Messiah, of Jesus coming. And God was always speaking with and rebuking his people through prophets. So prophets would come, onto the scene, and God would use them to talk to Israel and, and either give them hope or rebuke or whatever it was. God used these prophets to do this. Uh, and then after Malachi, uh, he was the last prophet in the Old Testament. All this, this hope that's coming, and then all of a sudden, silence. Nothing. Not a word from God. For about 400 years, there was not a word spoken from the Messiah. I, I like this idea that creation was holding its breath. Uh, it it, it References back sometimes to like about to give birth, like the, the, the world was just waiting and hoping that something was going to happen. They were holding their breath. I love the, uh, I don't know if any of you have the Jesus Storybook Bible uh, for your kids, uh, but I also recommend it for adults as well. Uh, just, just the way that uh, the author writes and, and tells these stories of the Old Testament. I wanted to read from you uh, for you the, the transition from the Older Testament to the Newer Testament in the Jesus Storybook Bible is so awesome, especially this time of Christmas. Here's what it says said, God wants us to be happy, Ezra said. Ezra was an Old Testament prophet. said, all day they listened to stories about the wonderful things God had done for his people, how he had made the world, how he gave a special promise to Abraham, how he rescued them from slavery, how he spoke to Moses and showed them how to live, how he brought them to a special land, how he rescued them. No matter what, time after time, over and over again, because of his never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking Always and forever love. They remembered how God had always, all through the years, been loving his children, keeping his promises to Abraham, taking care of them, forgiving them, even when they disobeyed, even when they ran away from him, even when they thought they didn't need him. Then God told his children something more. He said, I can't stop loving you. You're my heart's treasure, but I lost you. Now I am coming back for you. I am like the sun that gently shines on you, chasing away darkness and fear and death. You'll be so happy. You'll be like little calves running free in an open field. I am going to send my messenger, the promised one, the one you have been waiting for, the rescuer. He's coming, so get ready. It had taken centuries for God's people to be ready, but now the time had almost come for the best part of God's plan. God himself was going to come, not to punish his people, but to rescue them. God was getting ready to wipe away every tear from every eye, and the true party was just about to begin. Everything was ready. The moment God had been waiting for was here at last. God was coming to help his people, just as he promised in the beginning. How would he come? What would he be like? What would he do? Mountains would have bowed down. Seas would have roared. Trees would have clapped their hands. But the earth held its breath. As silent as snow falling, he came in. And when no one was looking, in the darkness, he came. I love that, just that picture of creation just waiting. And just in the the darkness and the quiet, Jesus came. Turn with me, if you will, uh, to the Christmas story in Luke 2. Jesus was this advent of joy. He was, I'm not, I'm going to read in just a minute. I just want you to get ready for when it's time. Jesus was the advent of joy. Um, I love the advent reading last week that, that we read. It said, "It long, a last cry of deliverance was heard again, uttered from the lips of the word made flesh. The newborn's cry pierced the midnight sky like a trumpet." heralding sin's demise and defeat of death forever for all who would be alive. The ancient of days stepped into time, wrapped himself in the frailty of human skin. He came in full of pity, compassion, and power to rescue those lost in darkness and carry them into the kingdom of everlasting light. He came in just as the prophet said he would to do what we never could. Humanity's joy was no longer a past joy. It was no longer a joy remembered. It was a present joy. The joy we have right now is a present joy. It's not a memory of something uh, that used to be. Joy has been personified in Christ Jesus. Amen. Yeah? yeah? This helpless baby, this little eight-pound, six-ounce baby, uh, the Redeemer of Israel had come. A few of y'all are catching <laughs> on to that, aren't you? Redeemer has come. Look with me at Luke 2. Luke 2, uh, we're going to start in verse 8. I love this. We talked about it uh, in our joy reading just a few moments ago. Here's what it said. It said, "...in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger." And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Did you hear it in there? Did you hear what he said? It said, I bring you good news of great joy, great joy for unto you this day in the city of David is born Christ the Lord. A lot of these people who were hearing this news viewed Jesus as a political conqueror, that he was going to restore Israel back to the the days, the, like the, the legends they had heard about what it was like when David was king. He was going to restore them back to that, but we all know that Jesus was much more than that, don't we? Why did Jesus come? Is it, is it too simple to say Jesus came to restore our joy? I don't know that it is. I don't think that's an oversimplification, because our ultimate joy is found in the presence of God, and Jesus came to restore that for us so we could be back in the presence of God. Scripture tells us the story of uh, of God. Scripture is the story of God restoring our joy with him again. Remember Psalm 1611 we just read, in your presence, God, is the fullness of joy. So those of us in Jesus right now, those of us who call ourselves believers, the fullness of your joy is complete. It's complete because you've been fully reconciled to God through Christ Jesus. There's nothing left for you to do. There's nothing left for you to do. Take that burden off yourself. It's the great exchange, right, that Jesus took our sin and gave us his righteousness. When Jesus was on the cross, cross, he said, it is finished. He didn't say, I'm done with my part. Now it's your turn. Do what you need to do. No, it's finished. The fullness of our joy is complete. Jesus secured our joy eternally. Listen, eternally and once and for all. He didn't, he didn't secure part of it for just a little while. You're in Christ Jesus. Your joy is eternally and fully complete. But I know what you're thinking. Sometimes I don't feel joy. Sometimes I don't see the joy uh, that's around me. That's, that's true, because our joy is not yet fully realized. We live in a sinful world, and it's a fallen world. Um, and it's hard. It's a hard world, especially this time of year. Uh, it seems like that the enemy wants to remind us how hard life can be. And just remind us and show us the sin around the the effects of sin are all around us. Death and sadness still surround us. I've heard pastors call it the already, not yet for us who are believers. That we experience it's complete, but we're not yet fully realizing what that joy is going to be like. But we know it's coming. We know it's coming. Here's what uh Romans 8 says. It says And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purposes. I would say that's probably one of the most uh, misquoted or at least misapplied verses in all of scripture. Uh, Here's what this verse is not helpful for. When someone's in the middle of struggling and sorrow and grief, and you come up and say, God's working all things together for your good, doesn't really help in that situation. Try it. It's not going to help. Uh, this is one of those, those verses your soul has to believe, that no matter what I'm in the middle of, God's working in it. God's working in this. I may not know it in this life, what, what it means, but it's, he's working it together for our good. Uh, it's good to remind ourselves that the sorrows of this world are temporary. A day is coming when we will say to God, uh, I see what you were doing there. We can't really understand it right now, um, but I can tell you this, your tears are not going to be wasted. I can't explain it to you, but God promises it's going to work together for our good. Um, And he promises joy. Here's what we have to remind ourselves. God is not responsible for our pain and sorrow. We are. We're the ones who rebelled against God. We're the ones that said, you know what? I'm going to try to find my joy somewhere else. And God gave us to let me know that works out for you, but I'll take care of it. And he has. How is it going to work out for us? I can't give you that answer, but I can give you the hope that God has the answer, and he's going to show it to us one day. John 16.20 um, makes the comparison to, to childbirth, uh, and it's always a really safe thing for a man to compare things to childbirth. Um, so I'm going I'm to go on and just say the Bible does it. I'm not the one comparing it, so you ladies don't. Say, you know. Here's what it says, John 16.20. It says, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your joy will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish. For joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. Man, that's good. That's good stuff. No, it, I mean, your, your joy, um, your sorrow one day will turn into joy, and the Bible promises that. Revelation 21 is one of my favorite, favorite chapters, uh, full of hope for us as Christians. It says, then I saw new heaven and new earth, for the, first, earth and the first, uh, first heaven and first earth passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. Listen, he will wipe away every tear from their eye and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. The the dwelling place of God is with man. Did you hear that? He will dwell with them and they will be his people, and God will be with them as their God. Our past, present, and our future joy is complete in Christ Jesus. Have hope in that this this season, friends, and Christians, and and, and those of you who aren't believers. I want you to hear that. Because of Jesus right now, listen, our right standing with God has been restored. God welcomes you back into his presence, and one day he will be with us. He will be with us. Here. Here. And our joy will be fully realized. All right, so what? All right, so what do we, how do we take that? What do we, what do, we do with that as Christians? Um, for you English people who, who love nouns and verbs and whatever, uh, what's the verb form of joy? Joy is a noun. It's something we have. What is the verb form of it? Rejoice. That's what we do. We rejoice. Nice one. We rejoice. Philippians 4.4, it says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. You VBS kids are thinking of a song again, aren't you? 45 times in the Old Testament, the command is given to rejoice. 74 times in the New Testament, we're told to rejoice, to delight in the Lord, to delight, to, to put our joy to work, to exercise that joy. Rejoice in the hope we have in Jesus. Find your greatest pleasure in Jesus. Uh, there, there's a term, I don't know if John Piper came up with it or coined it, but he, uh, he describes it as Christian hedonism. Hedonism is one of those words that's generally tied to like lustful pleasures, sinful pleasures. But it, the word itself isn't necessarily referring to sin. Humans have just made it that. Christian hedonism is this. It's the conviction that God's ultimate goal in this world, his glory, and our deepest desires to be happy are one and the same because God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. God is most glorified in us when we find our ultimate joy in Him. Not only is God the supreme source of satisfaction for the human soul, but God Himself is glorified by our being satisfied in Him. Therefore, our pursuit of joy in Him is essential. Christian hedonism claims that the Christian life should be the pursuit of maximum joy in God joy in both quality and quantity, Full, fullness of joy and joy forevermore are found in him. Rejoice, find your deepest joy and pleasure in God. He wants you to, he's the most glorified in you when we find our greatest joy in him. So just a couple of things. So first, if, if you don't call yourself a believer, um, you kind of have two options around this, right? You can choose to keep wrestling and, and keep trying to squeeze all the joy out of this life that you can. But we know those things ultimately won't satisfy us. Look at Scripture. Look at people around you. We constantly put pressure on things, jobs and family and kids and success, whatever it is. And we we put pressure on those things to give us our ultimate joy, and they're going to let us down every time. Those are shadows. God has given things like that as gifts to us, but they are shadows of joy yet to come. They're not our ultimate joy. They're pleasures of this world Um, And they're gifts, but they're just shadows of the ultimate joy. Uh, The other option you have is you can choose to place your hope in the one who promises ultimate joy, in a joy beyond our comprehension. That's the hope that we have, that we can can trust that what God tells us uh, is going to be true one day. For you Christians, um, here's my hope for you this Christmas season. Rejoice. Rejoice that the God of creation has reconciled you back to him in the person and work of Jesus. That's what we're celebrating. That's what we come together every Sunday to celebrate. But I remind you today, rejoice. God is not disappointed in you. He loves you. Just like Blake told us last week, God loves you. And you can rejoice in that this uh, this season. Uh, Every day, remind yourself when you wake up that God loves you. He's completely satisfied with you if you're in Christ Jesus. You can start the day without the burden of trying to please God. He doesn't frown when he thinks about you, even when we continue to look for joy in other places. He's not scowling at you. Rejoice today because God is rejoicing over you. Zephaniah 3, uh, Blake read this to us last week. Zephaniah 3 says, The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness, he will quiet you by his love, he will exult over you with loud singing. God is singing over you with joy today. Rejoice in that—that that your reality, right? At, that, thats your reality right now. God is rejoicing over you, and He's promising you joy that we can't even comprehend. I close with this: Romans 15:14 says, "May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope." Let me pray for us.